Again, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's word. Amen. Jenny just read for us a very large portion of scripture, and I asked her to do so so we could grasp the flow of the passage. And I think we can do so using a line from one of the greatest songs ever, U2's, you know them if you're my generation. I'm realizing U2 is starting to become the Rolling Stones or the Beatles of the old generation, but it's okay. U2's 1991 song, One. And the line in that song goes like this, we're one, but we're not the same. We get to carry each other. I'll say it one more time. Maybe with a little more melody. We're one, but we're not the same. We get to carry each other. Carry each other. Whoa. Okay, that's the song, right? (laughs) So we're one. We're one. Jesus calls us to together, to together walk with him. One faith, one Lord, one hope. One God the Father, one Spirit, with with humility, with gentleness, bearing with one another. And we talked about that last week. So we're one, but we are not the same. Jesus gives us a unique mix of gifts that make us different so we can encourage and complement one another. And so we see that but in verse 7. So we're one, but we're not the same. And we get to carry each other Different people walking together with different gifts help us build one another up, help us grow one another. Where I am weak, you are strong. Where I cannot, you can. Where I only see darkness, you also see light. And in that way, we encourage and compliment one another, and we'll talk about that next week. So in this way, Paul gives us a beautiful picture of God's church, and you two matches with their view of God's church, right? We're one, we're not the same, we get to carry each other. Last week, this week, and next week, 
view of God's church from the Apostle Paul. This week, we're talking about how we are not the same, and we're going to focus on one very important verse, just one, that suggests we are gloriously different from one another and why that's such a good thing. So we're going to examine this step by step. Chapter 4, verse 7. It's up on the screen again here. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And we're going to explore each one of these wonderful realities. Grace was given, given to each one of us according to the measure of of Christ's gift. And as we do so, please feel free to text in your question about spiritual gifts at any time. The number is going to be up on the screen as we go along. Uh, please do so. Uh, first of all, grace was given. Everyone who has trusted Jesus possesses, possesses a precious gift that was neither of our own initiative, nor our own making, nor even our own agreement and participation. We had nothing to do with it. We didn't ask for it. Nor could we because we had no idea that we needed it because we were dead. That's what Paul says earlier in his letter. He said, all people begin life among the walking dead. We live for ourselves, live for our own passions and pleasures, thinking that we are free, but we are in fact slaves to sin. So possessions start to possess us, right? Passions start to rule us in life, and we experience this. Some people experience to the point of what we call addiction. And in such a state, only God, only God could rescue us. I once talked to this man who had been hit by a car uh, walking across the street in a deserted part of a city. He was walking across the street, and, and when he was hit, his, his legs were temporarily paralyzed, he, he went into total shock such that he was conscious, but he couldn't speak. So he could see everything happening around him, but he couldn't speak. And in such a state, he sees the man who hit him get out of the car and stand over him. Now imagine that scene for a moment. You, you cannot move. You can't speak. You can only see and understand what's happening. Just imagine that feeling of helplessness that I have, I have almost one chance here one opportunity is for someone to, to administer to me a, a life-saving rescue. Do you feel that? As the man told me that story, I was like, wow. And of course, he lived, thankfully. Paul reminds us of such an initiative that God took in our life. And he reminds us of it even here. Verse 7, grace was given. God took the initiative. It is Christ's gift, he says. Verse 11, he gave in other words, he initiates, God initiates life-saving rescue in our lives. Something we couldn't conjure up or think up. He, he gave a, his one and only son to first walk in our place, to live the life we couldn't live in our place. Then he died in our place. And then he rose from the dead so that we can one day be with him in his place. God saved those who trust in his son, Jesus Christ. And so what is it in the end that God is ultimately giving to us through Jesus? He is giving us himself forever, starting now. He's giving us himself forever, but starting now. What does that actually look like for people? What does it look like? 
for God to give himself to a human being. It looks like a number of things, and the Bible describes it a number of ways. I want to give you one picture for this, though. In April 2013, at the very end of our church's first ever missions trip to Honduras, the Tree of Life Ministries, it was a wonderful time. At the end of that trip, I bought Katie this, this handmade uh, wooden pitcher or, or, or jar on a platter that had six smaller wooden cups surrounding it. I've submitted an artist rendering of it up on the screen, okay? It, it, it proved this, uh, this pitcher, this wooden pitcher and the small little cups around it, totally impractical for like everyday life. It was purely, purely decorative. Believe me, I tried. We occasionally got it out for gatherings because of, for that reason. At one such gathering, a little girl, she began pouring water into the pitcher, into the jar, such that the, the pitcher overflowed. And I thought it would just be everywhere and make a bigger mess than it did. And it turned out that much of the water that overflowed from that pitcher was caught in the six smaller cups. And so rather than show my frustration to this cute little girl, I decided just to hand her a cup. I took a cup. I said, let's have a drink. (laughs) So we had a little drink together of water. It was a nice little moment. But I mentally filed that visual away as a wonderful picture of what it looks like for God to give himself to us. God, the Holy Spirit, pours himself into us like like pitchers or jars. In fact, the, the Bible even calls us jars of clay. But because it's God who fills us, not lifeless good works, not possessions, not empty passions, he actually fills us. And not just fills us, but overflows in such a way that he blesses others through our lives. See, so, so to recap here, the, the jar is us. The water is the Holy Spirit. The cups into which he overflows are something called spiritual gifts. God's gift of himself is so abundant that it overflows into a gift or gifts we get to share with other people. We get to say, here, have a cup of God's goodness. Drink this with me. Isn't that wonderful? Spiritual gifts are this sort of weird thing. It's, it's God giving more of himself to us. It's the overflow of him pouring himself out into our lives such that we have extra. And they're literally called, these gifts, little graces. In fact, when, when God pours himself into people for the first time, people are immediately blessed with gifts. Peter says in the book of Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, that having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out that which you see and hear. And those were a, a kind of spiritual gifts called tongues. So they are given to us. God gives them, and they're given to each one of us. That's the second thing we see here in, just in verse 7. Each one of us. That means God's grace, the gift of himself, it reaches beyond saving us and rescues us such that we are no longer merely spectators of God's work, but participants in it. We're no longer spectators, but participants in God's work. And I'm curious, how many of you guys here grew up going to church? There's no judgment here. It doesn't matter to me. All right, so most of us here had experience growing up in God's church. I did also. And and from my view, the church was mostly a spectator sport. I don't know if you had a similar experience, but it seemed to me 
like the same handful of people doing the same things every week, not just on Sundays, but at other times. It was always the same handful of people doing the same things. And one day my parents, my awesome parents, they decided to, to leave the church we'd gone to forever after the minister caught them, caught them having a Bible study with other Christians. And he told them only ministers should be doing these sorts of things. So they decided to leave. Hope you see why. He and many ministers like him encourage churches where there are many spectators but few participants, few ministers, which we're all called to be. And there's certain advantages of that, right? There's certain advantages. You stay in your lane, I stay in my lane. It's not very messy. But not only is that incredibly boring to do church like that, I think we undervalue the productivity of messiness. The messiness of all of us pitching in and getting involved. There's a great piece of wisdom in the Old Testament book of Proverbs. It was given by a man named King Solomon. And he said in Proverbs 14.4, An empty stable without oxen stays clean, but no income comes from an empty stable. An empty stable without oxen stays clean, but no income comes from an empty stable. You get that idea, right? Churches that keep things clean. Churches with a tight circle of ministers are easier to keep clean. Right? They're nice and tidy, but they produce little fruit. Churches, though, that, that might exhort you that a gift has been given to each one of us, they're a bit messier. They're going to experience more headaches. We'll make mistakes, guys, sometimes about the gifts each of us have. We'll make Errors about maybe the best ministries or groups to exercise that gift will occasionally say and do stupid things because we're trying to practice these gifts for the first time. And it will get messy as we practice gifts amongst one another. That's the reality, but it's a beautiful reality. It means that, that you not only possess this unique overflow of God's presence, you get to hand off to other people, but you get to do that for the rest of your life. Isn't that wonderful? All of us called to be participants and ministers. I'm probably getting ahead of myself a little bit. Let me say this. Some fun facts about gifts. Number one, give you a definition. A spiritual gift is any ability empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. Okay? Any ability empowered by the Holy Spirit. Gifts, then, are different than talents. Talents come packaged with your first birth. Gifts are packaged with your second birth. What Jesus says is being called born again. When you trust Jesus for the first time, he says you are born again. And then you get gifts. God may give you spiritual gifts unrelated to your first birth. For example, I can tell you, without qualification, the Holy Spirit uh, gave me the gift of teaching and knowledge. I don't say that out of pride. I say that because I was an underachieving slacker and student. All right, made very little use of my mind prior to trusting Jesus. But when God saved me and he poured himself into me, the overflow of which was gifts of teaching and knowledge. I knew that because I, I went out as a 16-year-old. Mind you, right? A 16-year-old, I bought a Bible. I started outlining the books of Mark, Romans, and Galatians and sharing those outlines with other people as a 16-year-old who also dressed in flannel and had dyed hair. All right, it was abnormal. It was unusual, and people said, oh, I think you could have a gift of teaching, maybe of knowledge. It's like, okay, I don't know what that is. Awesome. 
So, so sometimes God gives you gifts that you never would have expected. They're not like what you had before, and that's wonderful. Other times, just as often, God sort of supercharges pre-existing talents into gifts, things you had before, pre-existing conditions, if you will. So if you, if you enjoy, before trusting Christ, helping others and reaching out to them, chances are the Holy Spirit will, will supercharge and redirect those gifts to bring maximum glory to him and maximum help to others. The Bible calls these gifts helps and mercy. And if you're someone like many of you guys here who, who are effective at organizing people and pointing them in the right direction so that they can maximize the potential in their lives, if you were like that prior to trusting Jesus, chances are after trusting Jesus, God's going to supercharge that gift and help direct people in ways that serve the kingdom of God. And he calls those gifts administration and leadership. So there are gifts and talents, sometimes new, brand new gifts, and sometimes God takes old talents and infuses them by the Holy Spirit. The New Testament lists 22 gifts in five or six passages, depending on how you interpret them. These lists, they overlap. They're not neat and tidy. They sometimes repeat each other. And it's pretty clear that they're not meant to be exhaustive either. There are likely gifts not directly listed in the Bible. For example, I think hospitality is a gift. I think intercessory prayer is a gift. Musical leadership, I believe, is a gift. Uh, Craftsmanship, artisanship, is sort of referred to in a shadow way in the Old Testament as a gift. So there are things that aren't necessarily in the New Testament that seem to be gifts also. What I've gone ahead and done, I'm not going to list all the gifts this morning. I printed out my own summary in the back. There's a ton of sheets in the back, um, a summary of all the gifts along with definitions and scriptures along with them. For now, let me just say, though, so feel free to pick up that on your way out or during the Q&A session afterwards. Let me just say for now that there are two broad categories of gifts. There are speaking gifts and there are serving gifts. Speaking and serving. In fact, later in the New Testament, the Apostle Peter puts this pretty simply. He says this, 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. Each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another. We'll talk about that more next week. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, the word of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So you have people who speak well, and that that is their area of gifting, their broad area of gifting. And there's generally people who do a great job serving and being sort of the hands and feet of Jesus. So valuable as well. In fact, if we turn back to Ephesians 4, our passage this morning, verse 11, you'll notice it's the church leaders gifted to speak who are called to equip all of us to discover and use and be equipped and grow in our gifts. Right? It's those, if you notice, all the list of those kinds of leaders are all speaking leaders. So if you followed along this far, and I hope you have, one of the questions that's probably come to mind is, okay, Ryan, I'm hearing a little bit about gifts. Things or ideas are popping into mind. I can maybe put myself on one of these two. I'm either a speaking person or a serving person. But how do I know for sure what my gifts are? How can I be sure and figure out my gifts? Let me just give you a few suggestions. These aren't ironclad rules or things to do in order per se. But you might want to begin with a basic reflection. Am I more effective in speaking or serving? Oftentimes that narrows things down right away. Have I been more effective speaking and serving? Also, search the scriptures. Again, in that, on the sheet, I'm gonna have the resources I have in the back, there are going to be definitions not only for different gifts, but also scripture references. I would encourage you to, to look up instances where 
those gifts are used in the Bible and see if you resonate with any of those occasions where someone in the Bible is using those gifts. And it might give you an idea like, yeah, I could see myself doing that. Or that really gets my heart, gets me excited. So search the scriptures. Uh, Number three, ask others in the church. A lot of times we have blind spots from how God has already been using us. We don't see it, but others can see it in us. They can tell us, hey, you know, know, I, I see you. Matt, I see ways God's used you. Rainier, I see, I see ways God has, has used you in my life. Louise, I can see ways that you've encouraged me. And maybe you don't even know it, but here are those ways. So ask others what they might see in you. You might be surprised. And finally, number four, try them out. Try them, try them out and see how they fit. I, th- I think sometimes it gives us a bit like trying on stuff in a changing room at a department store. Right? You try them on, you bring them out. You see how they fit, see how they look, see how they work. Sometimes you take them back, <laughs> right? And that's okay. It's okay to be about that with gifts. But that means that you more than likely have to find a place to use them, an area to use them. More than likely you need to find a community group or you need to find a ministry in the church to use them. Or, or you chisel out a new spot. Right? It'd be so wonderful if you used your gifts so faithfully that we as a church almost, almost sort of had to make a ministry for your faithful use of your gift. That would be wonderful. So these are some ways that you can discover your gift as well. Finally, Paul tells us this gift has been given according to the measure of Christ's gift. This means that you choose neither your gifts nor their relative strength. You don't choose your gifts nor their relative strength, how strong they are and how effective they are. I had a professor in seminary who was a brilliant New Testament scholar, also a great preacher. His name was uh, Don Carson. And I was sitting in class one day at seminary, like a class of a different professor. And this different professor um, asked a couple of guys sitting right behind me to stand up. There were a couple of blokes from Australia and the, and, and, the, and the professor asked them, hey, why are you guys, why did you guys fly into Australia? And they were only there for two days. They flew all the way to Chicago, Illinois for two days from Australia. Why have you come to Trinity? Why have you come to seminary? And they said, oh, we're here to take Dr. Carson's poetry and set it to music and record it to music. And I just thought to myself, man, this guy's got enough gifts, all right? These guys come halfway around the world. He's got gifts of knowledge and of teaching and of preaching. And also, he's an amazing poet who apparently has affected many people's lives. And people are going to record it and put it on a CD. He might not even know about it. Who knows? Even now, as I think back to that moment, I remember the water and the jar and the cups. Friends, because when God hands out gifts, he measures out more for some people's cups than others. That's what it's being said here. Dr. Carson got a big old scoop of water. <laughs> I feel like compared to him, I got a teaspoon. All right? And that really, guys, is, is one of the big dangers of the gifts, and that is jealousy. Jealousy in the church and among God's people. We, we are so prone, in, as it is, to look around and compare, right? Such that we've made Mark Zuckerberg the fifth richest person in the world, right? So we like to hop on, see what's, what's happening there. How am I like, not like that person? How am I better or worse than that person? And our tendency is to, we, we look online, we compare ourselves to others as it is. And so, especially in God's church, we need to guard our hearts from jealousy. Especially when 
Most, nearly all churches seem to favor or practice certain gifts more than others. It's just the way human churches often run. So, So how do we protect ourselves from jealousy? We reflect on what's true. Look again in verse 7. It is grace that is given, being given. It's given to each one of us. All of us have something. And it is Christ's gift. It is a gift. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have given us grace. Saving grace through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, God with us forever, and that has overflowed so that each one of us has been given a gift. According to your own determination and measure, you've given us gifts. Thank you that you've loved us so much that you gave us extra. You loved us so much that you didn't want us to just drink the water ourselves, but use the overflow of that water to hand it to others in our lives, to to bless others with your goodness and your presence. Help us do that faithfully amongst your people. Help us step out and not just be spectators. Give us courage to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.